1: I'm Marie Biancuto, and I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. Thank you for joining me. Today's show is titled ABCs of Breastfeeding After Cesarean. Now, today I'll be talking with you really about three main topics. First, I'll talk about how to optimize success for breastfeeding if you're going to have a cesarean delivery or even if you're just worried that you might have a cesarean. And secondly, I'll talk about the physiological differences between cesarean delivery and vaginal delivery as they pertain to breastfeeding. And I'll talk about that for both the mother and the baby. And thirdly, I'll talk about some ways to kind of overcome some of these speed bumps. Mind you now, not major obstacles, just a few speed bumps that you might be experiencing if you've had a cesarean delivery or if you have the cesarean delivery at some point in the future. And finally, in the last segment today, I'll talk about just really five top tips for making this a a scenario that if you have to deal with it, you can deal with it. So let me try to put this into context for you a little bit because I know that there are at least some of you who are sitting there rolling your eyeballs and saying, oh, brother, I really hope I don't have a cesarean because I've heard that people, when they have a cesarean, they aren't as likely to start breastfeeding. And you know what? There actually is some truth to that. I would like to tell you that it's a myth, but it's not. If you look at the scientific research, It does confirm that, but I will tell you that as a nurse, I have taken care of, I I, I don't even know how many women who have had cesareans, I've gone to the operating room with them, I have recovered them in that immediate post-op period uh, during that first hour, I've worked with them a day later, three days later, five days later, seven days later, however many days later, a month later if needed. So... I think that I can tell you with some credibility and confidence here that although it's not something that you would want for yourself, perhaps, it may be something that you do experience. And so I'd like to sort of put you on the front end of being able to deal with at least the breastfeeding aspect of it so that you can take charge of your own health care. Again really want to emphasize not necessarily a problem, but possibly a speed bump. So going back to the putting this in context part, you may or may not be aware that in the, the most recent statistics that we have, and I believe that the most recent statistics were from the Centers for Disease Control in uh, 2011. Yes, I'm quick, quick looking at the statistics that I have in front of me here. These statistics are gathered by the Centers for Disease Control, otherwise known as the CDC here in the United States. And the fact of the matter is that across the board in the U.S., The cesarean rate is now greater than 32% in 2011, our most recent set of statistics. And I might add, that is, I can't remember now if it's a tenth of a point up or a tenth of of a point less than what we had in 2009. But in any event... It's a pretty big, whopping, almost one-third of the women in the U.S. are having their babies by cesarean. So, I want to say that this is something you just need to be aware of as always being a distinct possibility. Now, when I talk about this, I want to be cognizant of the fact that when I do this show, I know that I've got a whole lot of different people out there listening. I know that I have the people who have come to my courses over the years because I give a professional continuing education. And a lot of you are looking at this from the standpoint of, ooh, I'm working in the hospital. I'm a professional. I've really got to help these patients. And you're right. You really do because that is your job and I'm also aware that I may be talking to the parents, the people who are saying, okay, Marie, this is really great, but you've got to get me into this because I want to know what can I do about it? How can I really be in charge? Well, uh, several things. First of all, if you're a professional, remember that now is the day and age when there is a lot of talk about creating best practices, and breastfeeding is a best practice, So we want to go with that and we want to say, okay, I'm going to help these mothers to do it. The mothers are going to say, Marie, how about, is there a way that I can avoid this? And the answer is a resounding yes. There are both elective cesareans, that is, the ones that are planned. They may be planned because of some history or because of what's going on with this pregnancy But in any event, those are what are called planned or elective cesareans. Some of those, uh, how should I say, I think that a woman really needs to have informed consent about the reason why she's got the planned cesarean. But informed consent is probably a topic for another day. And then there are what we in the hospital call stat sections, stat meaning immediately that there's an emergency. Or in one institution where I worked, we called them a, a, a different thing, actually, a one-hour section. It doesn't have to be immediately. We don't need the baby out inside of three minutes, but we do need the baby out inside of an hour or so. Some of those are, a great percentage of those, are related to what is sometimes called failure to progress. Mothers get uh, Kind of stuck in labor. And one of the things that I would really recommend for you is really look at the possibility of hiring a doula. There is some literature out there that shows that cesarean sections are less likely to occur when women have hired a doula. So I would like to suggest that to you as being one of the first things that you should do to optimize your success. But then let's look at the whole breastfeeding piece. Let's say that you're thinking, okay, but what if I do have the cesarean? I've done my best. My doctor's done his best. The baby's done his best. Everything is kind of like we're all doing our best here, but it's still occurring. Then I would say be prepared for some immediate things, that you will probably need to advocate for yourself and you will need your family, your doula, and anybody else who is there to advocate for you. And the first one would be early and often. I swear that someday I will be buried and on my tombstone it will read, here lies a woman who preached early and often. So early initiation of breastfeeding is enormously important. There are many hospitals in the United States now who offer to let the mother have her baby immediately after the baby is born, even if that is by cesarean. Now, for those of you who have met me, you know that I have a knot of white hair. And by the way, I started growing that white hair when I was about 28 years old. I often like to say I earned those white hairs. And what I would like to say is, remember that that can be done. I was successful in getting early initiation of breastfeeding in the operating room in the early 1980s. I did earn those gray hairs. But if your hospital says that they can't do it, if you have not delivered your baby yet, please explore that possibility and see who you can get to advocate for you because believe me, it can be done. Babies should be breastfed on cue. That is, they are less likely to have breastfeeding difficulties if they can breastfeed early and often. But what I find a lot of times is, well, the mother hasn't gotten upstairs yet. She hasn't gotten recovered yet. Oh, well, she's actually back, but oh, I think she's too tired. She's got too many drugs on board. She's whatever, whatever. And we end up actually not bringing the baby to her. Very often what gets the job done is when the mother says, Could I have my baby? So I'd like you to remember that you need to be your own best advocate and if you cannot be your own best advocate, which quite honestly is very difficult to do when you've just had major surgery, make sure you have a family member who is there to advocate for you. 24-hour rooming in is ideal. Do your very best to get to the 24-hour rooming in. And yes, I know that people will have objections to, oh, you can't do that because. Try to find out what your hospital's policy is that is on that early in the game so that you can be prepared. Just a little interesting piece about vocalization. This was a wonderful piece of research that was done by one of my favorite authors. Uh, her name is, I believe she pronounces it Yuvnes or Yuvnes Moberg. And what she says is that there's actually more vocalization between the mother and the baby during that skin-to-skin contact. And all of those things feed into a more positive breastfeeding experience. Another postpartum hospital experience that you would want to have is to not only having the baby early and often, but also trying to make sure that the baby really does have milk transfer. Now, I'm not talking about the first feeding or two, okay? Whatever the baby does in those first couple of feedings, if he does nothing more than lick and play, I consider that an enormous success. But thereafter, you really want to make sure that the baby is getting good milk transfer. Now, as I talk about practices that would actually enhance breastfeeding, you'll be interested to know that I'm going to name maternal medications as a facilitator of good breastfeeding post-caesarean. And in a few minutes, I'm going to name that as a possible barrier. But not to worry. Where I want to go with this is that if a woman does not have enough pain med on board, that can be a problem. So it's real important to have enough pain medications so that you feel like you are okay. Alrighty then, what we've really talked about here is the importance of getting ahead of the game, getting on top of things. I'll give you a few minutes to think about what we've just said during this segment and ask you to stay tuned for what's coming up when we come back. We'll briefly hit some of the barriers, and then we'll go on with how to fix them. Come back to Born to be Breastfed. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'll see you shortly.
2: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
3: Take charge of your fitness and take charge of your healthy life. Listen for Be Fit for Life with your host, Chad Austin. Think back over the past week, the past month, the past years. Are you like a lot of other people, too busy with the kids, work, travel, social calendars, business calendars, the day, the night, this and that? Make the decision to be healthier. Just do it. Chad Austin has made a living from motivating people to stop excuses and make fitness a priority in their lives. Tune in every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
0: Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health. With your host, Dr. Ann Deatley, we'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness.
3: The way we do banking today continues to evolve. No longer is it just brick-and-mortar locations or traditional banker's hours. Today, banking is 24-7. It's in the home. It's on the go. It's digital. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust, changing economic conditions and consumer behavior, government involvement, and, of course, technology. What does it all mean? Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome
1: back to Born to be Breastfed. I'm Marie Biancozzo. Thank you so much for joining me today. We just talked about breastfeeding and cesarean delivery. And I ended really by talking about optimal hospital practices. And one of the things that I would like to make sure that you know is help your hospital and help the staff to recognize that there is help. If they don't know how to help you, there is help for them. I'm one of the people who actually does that. So really try to think about how can you push forward not only your own experience, but the experience that other women or other families might have as well. I also would like to say that today in the very last segment, the last uh, 10 minutes or so of the program, I will be open to taking callers. If you're interested, that number is 866-472-5792. And I have to tell you, this is my third week now doing the show, and nobody has sent me an uh, email. So feel free to send me an email as well. It's radio at com. So we talked a little bit about the good postpartum practices, let me talk about the things that kind of don't work. And this is true not just for cesareans, I hope you understand, but really look at what's going on with, for example, pacifier use, scheduled feedings, supplementations. And yes, I talked about maternal medications as a facilitator, but it can also be a barrier. So let me try to unpack all of those just a teeny bit. You know, there are so many things that mothers can kind of get away with with breastfeeding if all is ideal. And a, a vaginal delivery is ideal. But for a cesarean, it's going to be especially important to get that early and often, early and often. And pacifier use is one of the things that kind of hits the early and often thing in the head. So really look at what is your hospital's policy on pacifiers and do they just put the pacifier in the baby's mouth every time the baby is hungry? What about scheduled feedings? And by the way, as a nurse in the hospital many years, I know that sometimes they say, oh no, we don't have scheduled feedings. But if you look, all of a sudden, all the babies are eating at the same time. And if they've got a central nursery, that's something that you should be prepared to look into. I'm not sure if I remember off the top of my head Any literature that shows that babies born by cesarean get more supplementation but I would be willing to guess that that would be the case so beware now on the medications part I think it's really important that mothers are medicated to the point where they feel human that is really important but not so much so that they are too sleepy to interact with their babies So let me move on to these physiological differences as related to breastfeeding. And let me just give you like five right off the bat as pertaining to the baby, and then I'll see how I go with my time. First of all, number one, and this is so important colonization of the baby's gut. That's number one. Number two, an increased amount of mucus. Number three, Sometimes these babies get sleepy or have decreased reflexes, not necessarily because of the cesarean, but because the mother has had anesthesia in order to undergo what is major abdominal surgery. Number four is the uh, sucking mechanism which the baby uses. And number five, keep in mind the reasons why the mother had the cesarean in the first place, okay? So sometimes that baby has been oxygen-deprived before he actually climbs out of the mommy. And if that's the case, what you'll find is that sometimes the baby kind of looks like, oh, it's hard to explain, but they just kind of look like, oh, I think I'm really tired, uh, could you just, like, let me alone a little bit and I'll, I'll let you know when I'm ready to actually do something here. So sometimes these babies are a little bit reluctant to get started. Those are the, really the five main things. Now let me see if I can unpack for you most of these, starting with what I believe to be the most important one, and that is colonization of the infant's gut. Now, Without giving you a whole professional lecture, I'll try to just chop this down a little bit. All babies get bacteria into their gut. It is not only normal, but it is desirable. So mammals, human babies as well as uh, kitties and orangutans and any other thing that is a mammal, they are born near the mother's anus. And the reason for that is that the first bit of bacteria that they're exposed to is, guess who's? The mother's. So this is actually an important way for the baby to be colonized right from birth. And then the second step, the baby gets colonization when the baby has the first milk, whether that's mother's milk or formula milk, but it is step two. And I won't go into all that, but the basic idea is, that the baby is exposed with this first exposure to the bacteria that is the mother's near the anus. And obviously that does not happen when the baby is born by cesarean. So this is a crucial step. And you're saying, Marie, why do I really care about this? Well, for a number of reasons. Probably one of the most important is that there there is a delay in colonizing the baby's intestine when that first exposure does not occur. And there is some, I'm trying to find my words carefully here, speculation, some thought, some theory that that may be related to babies still developing allergies later on. And by the way, this would also be kind of the flip side to this. This would be another reason why you would not want the baby to have formula because guess what? The formula is an antigen, an antigen being a foreign thing. So you most definitely want the baby exposed to the most physiological thing, that is the the milk, the mother's milk, rather than a foreign thing, especially because he's kind of skipped step one. So that's really important. Another one is about the actual mechanism of sucking. Now, breastfed babies suck with sort of the back part of their tongue. I can see myself demonstrating this with my fingers, which I realize you can't see. But it's sort of this undulating motion that goes from front to back. And actually, they have found that babies who are born by cesarean tend to use the front part of their tongue more so than the babies who are born by vaginal delivery. I don't know exactly why that I don't think anybody knows exactly why that is. And by the way, there's only one study on that. One study does not a best practice make, one study does not a rule make. But I think that we're learning more and more about the fact that these babies really do have some physiological differences. Now here's another one that I learned really early in my career which is babies born by cesareans have a lot of mucus. And why is that? It's because when the baby is born vaginally, on his way of kicking and banging his way out of the vaginal canal, his thorax, his chest becomes compressed. And so it kind of squeezes out some of that mucus that would otherwise just land in his tummy. So sometimes what you'll see is these kids have got so much mucus in their tummy that they can't really, their interest in eating is decreased. Let's put it that way. I mentioned the sleepiness and the decreased reflexes again. We don't have really good research on this, but we do know that most of the agent's Uh, maybe even all. I'm not a doctor or a pharmacist, so I can't speak with complete authority, but I believe that these medications that are for anesthesia purposes do cross the blood-brain barrier. So, yeah, these kids are a little bit less than eager in the immediate, immediate postpartum period, meaning in the first hour or so. And, again, keep in mind, why did that baby get born by cesarean in the first place? Okay, so let me talk for a minute about mothers. There are some physiological differences with mothers as well. First, mother may be worn out from a very prolonged labor. I have seen women who have labored for hours and hours and hours, and then what happens next? Well, they get a... um, oh, perhaps Pitocin, and then the Pitocin isn't working, and then they end up with, they push, but they can't push well, and they've got their epidural, and so then we have a forceps or a vacuum, and on and on and on, and when all of that does not work, what happens is that the baby is born by cesarean. So the prolonged labor really kind of wipes out the mother, and I will tell you, I've seen these women who, when I talk about, do they want to breastfeed their baby, they look look daggers at me like, are you kidding me? When we come back, I will talk about some issues with potential milk supply issues, pain, sleepiness, and what I guess I would just call reduced mobility. So then, what we've been able to do in this segment, we've talked a little bit about the physiologic differences that the baby experiences, some of the not-so-good hospital practices, and when we come back, I'll talk a little bit more about those differences that the mother experiences, and then we will be good to go in the next segment. So uh, stay tuned for what's coming up. I'm Marie Biancuso with Born to be Breastbed.
2: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Cancer is not something to be taken
0: lightly. But instead of being talked at by doctors, medical providers, and others, wouldn't it be nice to hear from a host who has worked at the Cancer Coalface for 38 years as a caregiver, supporter for 14,000 patients, and who has had the experience of having a life-threatening condition herself? You will hear the stories of survivors and other people who work in breakthrough cancer medicine. Navigating the Cancer Maze with host Grace Goller We'll help you with the facts, planning, and grief experienced with different forms and stages of cancer. Listen every Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
3: How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Have you figured out what's not working in your sex life? Could you use a little help? Join your host, Tamaron, for Let's Figure It Out Intimately. Tamaron has had both highs and lows in her sex life. She uses her experiences to teach you some basic techniques on how to create more fun, intimacy, and pleasure. Her guests also come from the sexual health and wellness industry. And together, Tamaron and her guests will help you get the sex life you've always longed for. Let's figure it out intimately airs live every thursday at 3 p.m eastern time noon pacific on the voice america health and wellness channel
2: opinions options answers you're listening to voice america health and wellness
0: you're listening to born to be breastfed
1: Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. I'm Marie Biancuzzo, and just before the break, we were talking about some of the physiological differences with the baby, and I started into some physiological differences with the mother. Let me also then move into, uh, I I talked about the fact that the mother might be worn out from a prolonged labor. Uh, Another possibility is potential milk supply issues. There's been a ton of research on this, and here's what I think I want to to you by six or seven days it doesn't matter anyway so if you feel like your milk is a little bit slow coming in And I use that word loosely because we all know that mothers have colostrum in the third trimester. So it's not as though they don't have anything there. But some people say when their milk supply becomes abundant or when they get a copious supply, which is usually around two to three days, the women who have not actually had the hormones of labor, that is, they have had a planned cesarean, sometimes don't get as big of a copious supply at day two or three or four or five, but guess what? About day six, it all evens out anyway, and certainly by day seven. So again, I would remind you, this might be just a little speed bump, but not the end of the world. Now, there is also some research, and this also is one of my favorite researcher. Her name is Eva Nissen, N-I-S-S-E-N. And she talks about the release of oxytocin, oxytocin which is the hormone that helps with letdown. Uh, she says it occurs more frequently and in bigger spurts after a vaginal delivery as compared with a cesarean. So again, I would say that this might explain some of what is perhaps that little bit of a delay and i was i was talking with my wonderful friend linda in memphis and she said okay so maria i think what i'm hearing you talk about here is there might be a bit of a difference in volume but at the end of the week it doesn't matter and even if there is a difference in volume it is correctable and probably not clinically significant and I said right absolutely if you look at the research I think that you will see that it might be statistically significant but in terms of what it really means for the take-home message for the mom I don't think it's a whole big deal just perhaps a speed bump be prepared for pain and how to manage it in my experience women who have cesareans have both incisional pain and they have gas pain Gas pain is often best relieved by just walking. Incisional pain is any number of things. And give me a minute, I can talk about that a little bit more when we come to some ways to overcome the issues. Now, sleepiness can be a problem. What I've seen with these women is sometimes it's what I think I would call just generic fatigue. They are tired, they had their caesarean. And I don't care if it's 8 o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock in the morning or 8 o'clock at night, it always seems to me, and I believe me, I've worked a million nights in my life, it seems to me that about 2 o'clock in the morning when they get up to go to the bathroom, they are just so, 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 so tired and everything feels like a day's work. If you're feeling like it's a day's work, it's because it probably is, for you, a day's work. I would say, first of all, don't overdo it. One of the problems that people have is they do too much during the day, they entertain their families, and everybody gathers around and they have all the visitors and stuff, and then by that evening or that night, they're really, really tired. I think, too, another problem is what I would call reduced mobility, and I don't exactly know how to explain that. but. Usually in the first few days, I get women up and moving, and they're glad to get up and moving, but they also just really feel like it's hard to get going. They don't want to make more effort. I guess maybe it's minimize effort. So I'm going to give you a few strategies with how to deal with that in case you're in that particular pickle. So let me then look at overcoming some of these barriers that you may find yourself with. And I'm going to break it into, first of all, some hospital-based issues. And then some individual-based issues. And we'll talk about those as system levels versus individual levels. So first of all, how to prevent low milk supply. Number one, offer the breast early and often, early and often, early and often. Often might be every hour or hour and a half if the baby, as I like to say, every time the baby chirps. Secondly, use skin to skin contact. And in fact, there are times when I would argue with myself. I might say, you know, skin to skin contact actually really might be the first thing. A lot of times, if you just put the baby skin to skin on your chest, what happens is he finds his own food and then breastfeeding early and often logically follows. Here's one that is so important for everybody but especially for mothers who have had cesareans. Look for subtle hunger cues. If you're waiting for these really, really huge cues, rooting where the baby is rooting against the side of the crib and the nurse's uniform and everything else. That might not happen. It might be something just really, really small. So look for that little tiny rooting. Look for the baby just opening his eyes. Look for the baby bringing his hands to his mouth. And he might not even be successful bringing the hands to his mouth if he's just sort of trying. That is a hunger cue. Now, Here's another one. Reduce the effects of the major surgery. So for instance, I mentioned walking. Walking is really important because it relieves gas pains. And I know that people don't necessarily feel like they need to do it. And usually the first 8 or 10 or 12 steps, I usually say if they can make it to the bathroom and back the first time, that's terrific. After that, it starts to get a little easier. But A body in motion will enormously help to relieve those gas pains. And I've seen people who have gas pains even worse than incisional pains. Medication. What I find with women is that they often want to put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. And actually, it's so much more difficult to control pain when you put it off. So determine ahead of time what it is that your doctor has prescribed for you for pain. Have that chat about, is it safe for the baby? And I can tell you that in the many years that I have been in this, I get that question over and over and over from mothers, and it always seems like there's just no amount of reassuring that I can tell them. But honestly, doctors are very cognizant of... (laughs) the worries that mothers have about taking medications as related to their breastfeeding experience. I'm not an MD. I don't want to address exact uh, uh, medications, but I will tell you that anything that I have ever, ever seen or ever, ever heard of as related to postpartum pain, that doctor has done a good job of finding a medication that will have very, very minimal, if any, impact on the baby who is breastfed. And what he's trying to do, is to keep the mother comfortable. And for all of you female obstetricians out there, I'm sorry I just insulted you, but I know you're not a he, but so many doctors are. Here's another one. Try to find ways to get comfortable with pillows. And I will also say, if you even remotely anticipate going to the hospital, One of the things you really need to do is bring your own pillow, whether or not you have a cesarean. I wish I had a nickel for every time I have scoured the hospital, upstairs, downstairs, inside, outside, and very often just finding a pillow is a major problem. So those are sort of some hospital-ish kinds of things, as well as pain management, which is both a hospital-based thing and... Somewhat of a um, an individual kinds of things. so we talked a little bit about that. I'm going to talk about milk supply issues before we go to the break. First of all, maximize the newborns' participation on, and make sure that you've got milk transfer. Again, get that baby skin to skin. Get the baby to the breast early and often, and then make sure that he is really transferring milk to himself. And one of my favorite ways to do that is to make sure that the baby is actually swallowing. Positioning is enormously important. And now some people probably say, well, no, Marie, actually, it isn't enormously important. It's whatever the mother can do. Okay, well, I think that what a big problem is that mothers worry that the baby is going to kick them. So here's what I try to do. I try to explain that if the baby is actually transferring milk to himself, what you will find is that he actually is quite relaxed. So this would be another good example of if you get the baby to the breast early in his hunger phase he will not be he will not be making as many movements he won't be as tense he won't be doing those behaviors that you might worry about the kicking because he's going to be relaxed when he gets to the breast he's going to be relaxed when he gets the milk I like to use sideline positions or possibly what my good friend Debbie Bokar calls the elevator hold I'll talk to you about that in a minute And finally, something that's come on the scene in the last, mm, since 2008, we've talked about biological nurturing positions. And so all of those are very, very useful for being able to get the baby into a position that is comfortable for him and comfortable for you. So basically what I've done here is talk about some things that can happen the things that often do happen after a cesarean from both the mother aspect and the baby aspect. I'll give you a few minutes to think about what we've just said during this segment and ask you to stay tuned for what's coming up next. I'm Marie Biancuto with Born to be Breastfed.
2: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
3: No matter what you have tried, healing is always possible. Learning about healing, what it is, and what it can do brings a much clearer understanding of the process. Listen for the Healing Power Hour with Suzanne Hill. Our program will help you understand your own body so that you can understand how you can reduce or eradicate any negative health issues that you might be dealing with. Healing is energy-based, and by learning how it works, you help yourself. Tune in to the Healing Power Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health &
0: Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 11-11 11 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 11 Talk Radio, because shift happens. Every weekend, take some time out of your schedule for new reflections featuring Dr. Adam Rubenstein. It's a show about all things aesthetic from skin care to plastic surgery, health, and beauty. You'll learn about the aesthetic products and procedures to embrace or avoid. Each show will feature live, virtual, interactive consultations that you'll be able to follow along with and featured guests from the world of beauty and aesthetics. Listen Saturdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, for new reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Everybody, thank you so much for joining me again. I'm Marie Biancuso, and welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. Now, just before the break, we were discussing some of those things that do occur with cesareans that can, can sort of, how should I say? can influence your breastfeeding experience, but are, again, just a speed bump, not a major obstacle. So I left off talking a little bit about positioning, and I want to say just a little bit more about that before we go on. And that is, side-lying is useful. When you do side-lying, make sure that you've got the baby's tummy next to your tummy. Very often what happens is that the baby kind of rolls back a little bit, And then he does not have good positioning. I strongly recommend having a pillow between your knees when you're on your side and have a pillow behind your back. And in fact, usually I will put a couple of pillows and really kind of scooch them really under the woman. And I'm sure that any nurse can do that for you. It's not rocket science, okay? As I said, usually the biggest trouble is just actually finding the pillow. Now, the next one is the, quote, elevator position. When you do this, please make sure that you have somebody there who can supervise this because you are putting the baby on a soft surface. But it works very, very nicely for mothers who don't want to do a whole lot of movement. What you do is you sort of tuck the, you're on your side now, you're on your side, kind of tuck the lower breast down under your chest and kind of onto the mattress and put the baby on a pillow so that he is nursing from what would be your top breast. And then when he's finished at that breast, and if he wants more, you can slide the pillow out from underneath him so that he is now right on the mattress and he is at what would be your lower breast. So, okay, let's see. If I'm on my left side, it would be my left breast that would be nearest to the mattress. Can you sort of envision envision this so that's elevator hold. works nicely so that you don't have to do a whole lot of moving around. And finally, biological nurturing is wonderful. This was the brainchild of Suzanne Colson, who's in Australia, does a wonderful job explaining this. And basically what she says is that instead of getting the baby in all of these angular positions, you just kind of lie the baby flat so that he's kind of face on. It's really hard to explain to you. And then you use your hands and your arms to kind of nest the baby. And I know what you're thinking. You're saying, oh, Marie, but what about that that incision that I have? Again, remember, if the baby is getting milk, he's probably going to be relaxed. So let's talk then about a little bit how are we going to get to comfort and some relative independence once you get home. First of all, make sure you have your prescription for your pain medication. You're going to need it. Secondly, enlist the help of people who are supportive. Now, what usually happens is that grandma or Aunt Susie or whoever comes and they want to take care of the baby. Make sure that you have that talk with them well ahead of when they arrive. What you really want is you want that person taking care of the house, getting the groceries, doing the dishes, doing the laundry, etc., etc., so that you can take care of the baby. Here's a little tip for you. Try to keep needed items close by. You might even want to set up what I would call a little breastfeeding corner. Everything that is necessary for your breastfeeding experience, whether it's a pillow or whatever, and I always tell women, get your glass of water because a lot of people, when they actually do experience a letdown, a milk ejection reflex, they get thirsty. So try to have all that set up ahead of time so that you don't have to be jumping up and down. Why do we anticipate the best? I would say that those first several days, both the first couple of days in the hospital and the rest of that week, are usually a less than optimal moment in your life, okay? Try to be realistic about what you can do. For example, on the first day, I tell women, don't try to take a shower and wash your hair all in the same trip. It's just too much. So try to be realistic about what you can and cannot do and try to anticipate when you will feel substantially better. Now, I don't know what circumstances you've got, so it might be worthwhile to have a chat with your obstetrician about that and say, look, when am I going to feel like... Everything is getting a little better, and I think that you're, you're not going to feel like you can go and take on the world. Anybody who says that you can, that's probably not very realistic, but there, there comes a day when you really do feel substantially better. But also, while I say anticipate the best, I would also see, say be prepared for the worst. Know how to recognize a problem that crops up either for you or for the baby, and make sure that you have all of the phone numbers and all of the contact information so that you don't have to run around doing that. Okay, so basically, what I've done here is I've talked about some problems that you might experience, talked about some ways that you might be able to solve them, and now seeing no questions, and seeing that nobody has called in, I'll try to just summarize for you what I believe might be the five top tips for breastfeeding after you have your cesarean. Number one, prenatal and postnatal, become informed about what the hospital practices are. Most of us go a little apy when something happens that we weren't expecting or didn't think would happen. So get ahead of that sooner rather than later. Number two, determine what I call locus of control. As I understand it, there is an old saying. To know that I can change what I can change. To accept what I cannot change. And the wisdom to know the difference. That, my friends, is critical. Third, Try to prevent or minimize the problems associated with milk production and real, including engorgement, by the way. And if you're skipping night feedings because you're tired, you will find yourself very painfully engorged. But look at any problems with milk production, milk ejection and milk transfer issues, and that's whether you've had a cesarean or not. Anything that interferes with that, and by the way, if I didn't say it earlier, pain interferes with that milk letdown. So be sure that you get ahead of all of that. And at home, first of all, identify knowledgeable, supportive sources. And actually, I would say you need that in the hospital as well. People who will be supportive. And I would also say, as many of you have heard me say so many times, I actually borrowed this line from my good friend Debbie Bocard, but it's so true. I borrowed this line 20 years ago, and it's always true. And that is, most breastfeeding problems are transient and solvable. And finally, just be prepared. Be prepared to overcome whatever it is that you need to overcome. Get yourself together, anticipation, is a huge piece of this. Okay, then. That's all the time that we have today. I'd like to thank you for listening to Born to Be Breastfed, and I'd like to invite all of you to come back next week. I'm really enjoying doing this show, and I hope you're enjoying listening to it. Please visit my website at borntobebreastfed.com for a preview of what's coming up next week. Again, that website is borntobebreastfed.com. And if you're interested in professional continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. In fact, I will be in Chicago twice about two weeks from now, and I will be in the Midwest thereafter. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here to help clarify the facts about breastfeeding and to empower you and your family. Join me next Monday, same time, same channel. And in the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed.
0: Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week do its best for you and your baby.